Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist and it is time for the tea. Tea Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Welcome back to our August episodes, everyone. We've been so excited about this series. We have discussed healthy dating relationships. We talked about some of the factors that led to incarceration and how people can make changes in their life to avoid that path, or if they've been on that path, to be able to get to a place where they're living their fullest potential. We have also discussed some of the rights that women lost in the overturning of Roe versus Wade and how that has affected uh, women's rights uh, with regard to their bodies. And today, one of my favorite conversations that I've been looking forward to is to talk about COVID and how it's affected our kids. So you know that you can drop your comments in the chat. Go ahead. And if you have questions or comments, make sure that you do that. But Without further ado, let's go ahead and get started because we have much to get to. So it is my sincere pleasure to introduce to some and just reconnect with others, Dr. Charity Star Mitchell. Hello. She care- <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Got this good old bio, Marie, for okay. me. Okay. She characterizes herself as a practitioner of souls and a servant of the people. She received her Bachelor of Social Work degree from Talladega College in Talladega, Alabama, a Master of Social Work from the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and a Doctor of Ministry degree with honors at Southern Methodist University's Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, Texas, where she focused her studies in urban ministries and community development. Dr. Mitchell is the founder and CEO of Love Star Care Connection Services, LLC, a social services and individual counseling agency that provides support services to individuals, families, and communities in the state of Georgia. Dr. Mitchell serves as the Director of Community Engagement at Morehouse School of Medicine, where she seeks to address health equity in communities of color, and she serves as a licensed local minister and is on the elders ordination track for the North Georgia United Methodist Church. Welcome to the show, Dr. Star Mitchell. Thank you. So glad to be here. I'm so excited. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Me too. Everybody come on in, invite a friend. Uh, This conversation is a much needed conversation and I'm very excited about it. So the National Institute of Health, and these are some stats from April of 2020 to about June of 30, June 30th of 2021, suggests that more than 140,000 children, so one in 500 kids under the age of 18 in the United States, lost a parent, custodial grandparent, or grandparent caregiver who provided their basic needs, including love, security, and daily care. So talk to us about what are some of the ways our young babies have been affected by losing their caregivers during COVID? I don't think it's easy to lose a parent at all, Uh, but COVID opened up a Pandora's box that, wow, it's just a lot of pain and a lot of um, uneasiness. There was a lot of um, emotions that young people are not even really capable uh, of verbalizing. But most of all, the uh, lack of 
grieving in a community, um, especially with an African African American community, we're so used to uh, the tradition of uh, community support through funerals, um, uh, repasses, um, having somebody drop off a whole bunch of but you know chicken and, and collard greens and and um, um, uh, Publix uh, uh, potato salad. But yes, ma'am. <laughs> in COVID. Not only was the loss hard, but the traditions and our rituals of uh, celebrating in the midst of loss, that was missed as well. So that was one big, huge factor, um, losing a parent and not being able to be comforted in the traditional ways that we're comfort, comforted. Um, um, one of the challenges that I noticed in uh, many of our young people, uh, a lot of these young people lost not one, but two parents, both parents that's an extreme loss. And the gap of time um, that they lost their parents may have been within a couple of months, a couple of weeks, some folks even a couple of days. Um, so that uh, surfaced a lot of emotions, a lot of um, just a, a lot of grief, um, anger, um, not being able to understand nor comprehend. It just changed the whole family dynamics. Uh, th those are uh, two of the main challenges that I've experienced uh, helping to walk students and young people through the grief journey in COVID. Another major challenge is the um, that I noticed was um, on top of the loss of um, the parents or a parent, uh, young people, especially children, um, children of color, had to deal with the disparities that were going on prior to COVID hitting. So if you are already uh, challenged with uh, being in a non-nuclear family where you are being raised by um, a single parent household and there is friction with the other parent, those issues, and if they were never re resolved, they will continue to persist. And so navigating that family structure is also a, a challenge for a lot of young people because they need the support. They, they lost one parent, but then the other parent, the relationship may or may not be as healthy as they would like. So they're not receiving the support that they need to because you may have a, a parent that is um, emotionally immature or emotionally not capable of providing the care that that um, child or that young person needs at that time. So those are the major challenges that I've, I've noticed, but there are a slew other of other challenges, but those were the major challenges that I noticed working with young people. You know, we think about how difficult it is for adults to grieve and go through this grief cycle. And you talk about mo losing multiple people. And we know that during COVID, people lost generations. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, might've been a grandfather, a father, an uncle, a brother, might've been a mama. And so you literally are talking about, I don't even have a chance as an adult to catch my breath and really <laughs> grieve. Not even thinking about these babies and them trying to grieve not even fully understanding the grief cycle yeah. in the way that adults do. But you brought up a good point, Dr. Star Mitchell, when you said, and what if the people that are left behind are not in a healthy place to even be able to raise you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I just think about some family dynamics where there was hostility yes. um, between co-parents or even extended family members. And so you might still be talking negative about this person who I just lost. Yes. And I've got to come over here and now live in your space. Mm -hmm. That's a whole, that is, that's, that's a whole vibe. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. the whole vibe. Um, yes. 
and 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 that is what I've experienced coaching um, young adults, young people, um, helping them to journey through listening to them. Mm-hmm. A lot of these challenges, um, Dr. Tarver, I didn't even have answers for. But what I found healthy was being at a place where I could sit and listen, mm-hmm. have empathy, and allow them to take me through their journey, walk me through the hurt and the pain, mm-hmm. and I'm there in the midst of the mud with them. And I think that's what young people are looking for. None of us have the answers for generational loss. I think this is the first time we've experienced this in maybe a century. The last pandemic, serious pandemic, was almost mm-hmm. a year ago. So no one, none of us really have the answer. I kind of got pushed into this mm-hmm. um, and I, I call it a divine pushing because of the need mm-hmm. and because of my own um, journey um, being in school at a young age and um, having to deal with the fear of grieving and the fear of death mm-hmm. because my mother was ill. Mm-hmm. And I was always waiting on that phone call of, you know, I'm sorry, your parent, you lost your parent. Now she's still here. She's still holding on. And you better. Mama yet holding on. <laughs> she holding on. But I can identify with that. And I think we have to take time with these young people not to prescribe to them or not to overshine their journey and their story by giving our story, but using our stories and our experiences to help us to have empathy and to be patient with them and to walk that journey because they're still at a development age where where they are, you know, especially that teenage age between 13 and 17, 18, they're still trying to balance their emotions. So along with the the high um, um, uh, their their hormones going up and down, they're they're now dealing with sadness and grief and anger and fear and all this other stuff. So it's going to take us being very patient. Um, I allow my patients to use words that we wouldn't normally use. I think it's therapeutic sometimes to say what you feel and how you feel just as long as you know, you're not um, harming me or anyone else, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they need to talk to God in ways that they feel comfortable. And and sometimes talking to God or, you know, whatever deity they they worship, or if they don't worship a deity, they're talking to their parents because there's still anger there that, that may be unresolved but had given them the opportunity to walk through that journey and walk with them in the mud, get in there with them mm-hmm. and not prescribing or trying to fix it, but to allow them to work it out and give them the tools to work it out. You know, and this is an important aspect of sometimes we don't allow people to sit in their emotions. Mm-hmm. We don't allow people to sit in their feelings and kids in particular who are trying to learn how to navigate them. And we wonder why our, you know, we grow up and we don't have emotional regulation as adults because we weren't allowed to be able to express our emotion as kids. Mm-hmm. Grieving isn't pretty. Mm-mm. And so, yeah, I, I can absolutely be angry um, and, and have some conversations with God yeah. about how I feel about you taking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can say raw things with mm-hmm. your mental health provider that you can't say to your family members. Well, your like, And your pastor, like, look, you know, if, if you was going to take one, <laughs> why you ain't take the other one? Why you ain't take the other one? They ornery. They don't show up for me. Like it's combative. Like, that's real talk. Know, that's real talk. That's and real you talk. know, it's, it's so important for young people to be able to have a safe space to say that because they have to be so controlled so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're quick to tell young people, don't feel that you shouldn't feel that way. Or, um, that ain't nothing you need to be worried about. Just, you know, and, and it, it dismisses 
their experience and they need somebody I you can't fix it for me because you can't bring this person back right but it's just so nice to have somebody that I know is walking at least if not beside me somewhere near me so if I needed them I could know I wasn't by myself and I think this conversation is so important because I feel like our communities our, our young people need a community of support not just their immediate family but also wherever they go, if they go to the beauty salon, mm. they need to talk, or I feel like the cosmetologists and the stylists mm. need to have some type of uh, uh, emotional or uh, mental health awareness enough mm. to be able to navigate a conversation and uh, re refer them somewhere uh, because they, young people, you never know what triggers it. Something will trigger it and you never know. It could be the smell of biscuits. It can be mm. a, a show that you used to watch, a mm. song, mm. Lion King, something mm. can trigger it. And we have to be in a place. It's very, it very um, important for us to be in a place to stop what we're doing, recognize it and walk that journey with them. And, and to, just to be able to just be there and not, like you said, dismiss it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's extremely important for our clergy to have mental health awareness training. Mm -hmm. um, I'm clergy and I feel like this, if you're a pastor and you ha don't have a, a, at least a, a, a therapist or a counselor on speed dial, then I, I'm not trusting you with my soul because you. <laughs> I don't feel like that you're emotionally healthy enough because you have a mm -hmm. lot of weight on you. How are mm -hmm. you getting rid of that weight? Absolutely. And I think mental, we have to get to a point where we demystify uh, what it means to, um, how, how we understand mental health, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the, in the wake of COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of our worlds were shaken up. And I think it is very important for us, especially as it pertains to working with um, young adults, adolescents, mm -hmm. to be the rock that they need for us to be. But also we need to manage our traditional ways of handling stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, mental health has not always been the forefront of our conversations in the Af African-American community. We, we all experience somebody in our family living in the back room and we take plates during the family reunion to them, to Uncle Junior or Auntie Bebe, mm -hmm. and we just kind of shut them off. But mental health is so broad now. Um, when you, when you um, consider the volume or the gravity of death that has mm -hmm. taken place. In my family alone, we lost nine people. And this is a oh, wow. two years, some COVID related, mm -hmm. some non-COVID related, mm -hmm. but just not being able to grieve with the mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. and not being able to go to those traditional um, settings where you are supported mm -hmm. is enough for an adult. Just imagine how the young people are, are taking that, but it's just important for us to create opportunities for them to celebrate mm -hmm. the life, to remember, mm -hmm. to be angry, yes. to be sad. And then also let them know that they can be champions mm -hmm. for other young people who may be experiencing uh, grief and loss as well, because how they are handling and the way that they handle the mm -hmm. loss, they're coping with the loss can be an inspiration to somebody else. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's a good segue too into these other dynamics that our young people are dealing with. And you alluded to this earlier and, and made a statement about it before. I'm not able to grieve in the ways that I traditionally grieve. Mm -hmm. I may have people around me that are not emotionally mature, not in a place to be able to fully care give for me in the way this person who I lost 
was caregiving for me. I got bullying. We're still in schools dealing with COVID and, you know, we relaxed the mask standard. Then we, 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 we put it back in place. And then, you know, and I don't know how triggering that might be for a kid. Um, knowing that you lost all these loved ones to COVID and you go to school um, and find out that your governor is like, no, you're not going to wear no mask uh, in here. And so how does that feel to a kid? And then you're dealing with all of the cyber issues where, where people are making statements and all of these things out here in social media. And, you know, people were saying this thing was fake. People were um, saying, you know, talking to folks about uh, dismissing what their experience might have been. Um, and so I can only imagine how dealing with violence, all of, you know, you look around shootings everywhere, you mass um, killings of people, your school, is your school safe? I just, how do all of those things even factor into this grieving process and this weight that you mentioned our, our young people are carrying around with them? I believe they're feeling it all. Mm. Um, we, when we are speaking of adolescents and young people, that's what Generation Z yeah, look, because I'd be like, now, what are we? What are we? I'm like millennial slash generation X. So I'm right at the end of, I'm right at the end of one and right in the beginning of the other. But anyway, so generation Z, though, they are more, they are well-versed in technology. They are, you know, they're not as xenophobic as the rest of mm-hmm. our the other generations. So they have a lot of pluses um, in regards to how they um, engage conversations about mm-hmm. race disparities and, and, and cultural and, and economic disparities. So I think they're feeling it all. They're feeling it all. However, I do believe that because of their ability to um, embrace what it means to be emotionally well Mm -hmm. Um, and their conversation around mental health is not as taboo as it was in my generation um, or our parents' generation. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a bit of hope for them um, moving through this path. Um, It's a lot. It's a whole lot because they're feeling it all. They're feeling the, the the racial injustice they're feeling the Mike Browns of society and and the George Floyd's um, I was in the hospital giving birth when George Floyd was murdered and mm. uh, and yeah and um and there they shut down Atlanta I was in Midtown Emory uh and they shut down the street we couldn't even leave I had to stay there an extra day so I knew my child was going to be an insurrectionist because she wanted <laughs> middle- what she was born into <laughs> of people right in the, in the pandemic but our young people, they felt that too, mm-hmm. as their parents or their loved ones were in the hospital or they've already passed and mm-hmm. they were able to attend the funeral. They still felt it because um, they can identify with um, how they are treated as uh, people of color, mm-hmm. uh, Black men and Black uh, black young women who are often um, uh, stereotyped and, and targeted. Mm-hmm. So there is anger there. So what we have to do as as clinicians, as ministers, as teachers, or whatever your profession is, is to provide an opportunity, provide a space for them to have healthy conversations so they can pick away at it a little at a time. You know, they have to eat, they're going to eat away at the mountain, but you don't have to eat the mountain all at one time. If we had opportunities in church, 
How mm-hmm. often do we go to church, even if it's Zoom? If we had opportunities to uh, have conversations in our boys and girls clubs, if we had opportunities, like I said, in the the, the beauty salons, wherever mm-hmm. we go, wherever our safe spaces are, have provide opportunities to have healthy discussions mm-hmm. around it and let these young people talk and let them drive the conversation mm-hmm. because we will learn a whole lot. <laughs> about where they are, how they're able to handle it, how they're able to cope. If they are, um, if they are using um, other methods of self self medication to deal, mm-hmm. um, in these conversations, you learn a lot about these young people. But I do think that they are feeling um, the social uh, upheaval. Mm-hmm. I think I believe I know they felt uh, in my conversations with the the young folks, um, even when I was working at Georgia Gwinnett, um, Jerry, January the sixth, two thousand twenty-one, when um, the 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 folks uh, took over the the, the um, yeah. capital. Mm-hmm. and we had our domestic terrorist attack on the attack the mm-hmm. capital. Young people felt that they were the main ones out there um, on social media appalled at this. They could not believe that grown folks were out here doing this in the middle of a pandemic. All this, mm. so where are our platforms to help mm. them to to healthily or effectively navigate these conversations? How are we creating spaces and programs and initiatives that will help them to pluck away at it a little at a time? Um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. Yeah, I it think definitely it's an additional is. five hours to listen, do all this stuff. Listen, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's good to even begin to have this conversation because you have said this a couple of times now, like hear them. It is so important for them to be heard, for them to have safe spaces where they can talk, for them to be able to know where to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that help doesn't have to look the same. Yes, uh, over here, and there, you know, there are some cities who have embraced this more than others where the hair care providers also have a mental health space. Yes. Um, You know, our churches also have a mental health space. Mm -hmm. Um, When you are... Uh, at the family reunion and you say something instead of you being dismissed or shoved off to a room um, someone says hey uh, I got your mama some information Um, check out this this Instagram page uh, for therapy for insert here uh, that you can go to and look at some things and we're gonna make sure you get connected right because as you say gone are the days where we can ignore mental health but not only do we not need to ignore it we need to be able to make sure that our kids can access it um yeah so talk to you you know we mentioned this grieving piece and I know that some people don't understand what grief would look like in a young person Mm -hmm. um um, right because you know we we say that young people are not adults so what does grieving look like in a young person and and does it change over time what should people be on the lookout for that is an excellent question and I think and the broader question is what does mental health challenges look like in a young Come person. On. I think that's a problem. We're going to, I'm going to go back to your question, but I think that's a good question. What does that look like? Because mm. in our minds, it's a certain way. We, we have our own um, idiosyncrasies that we say over time, but that person just a little touch. He ain't all together there. Yes. Uh, grief is not all always crying. It's not always, um, you know, locking yourself in a room. And it is, it is that at mm. times. But for young people, what I've learned, a lot of times grief is agitation. Mm. I'm, I'm agitated. I'm, I'm mad. I'm upset. Everything, anything that you say to this person, they're snapping off, um, self-medicating, mm. through sex, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. through uh, you know medications around the house over the over the counter drugs, mm-hmm. um, and even some of these. Um, um, if you have an older uh, family member or a family member that may have had a surgery and they have codeine or something that got, you know, the stronger drugs um, laying around the house and you're using it for pain, but these young folks may be chopping it up and using it to self-medicate because they want to deaden the pain. Um, that's still grief. That's grief. Um, uh, talking too much is grief. Mm. If their beha- if their behavior is normally um, mild and and subtle, that talkativeness is is a sign of you know I don't want to go to sleep I don't want to be alone that's a sign of grief. It's just so many different signs. You just being able to be cognizant and notice when there's a red flag. If something is not normal, mm. or if something is not comfortable, I mean um, not comfortable. If something is not um, a typical. Thank you. Typical mm. uh, behavior of that young person, then I would look into it and just kind of, you know, pay attention to it. And you don't have to prescribe anything to them, but just give them your attention and ask questions. Mm. A lot of times what young people want you to do, they want you to be present. Now, the adolescent age is a very fickle age because sometimes they want to be around you and sometimes they don't. But I've learned that you have to deal with them like you deal with the wave. You can't force the wave. I don't. I don't um, um, do the. What do you call it when you you do the board um, on the waves in the ocean? Um, surfing. Surfing. Thank you. <laughs> surfing. I don't surf, mm-hmm, but I mm-hmm. watch surfers. I, I just recently visited the beach, and they they wait patiently until the right wave comes. Mm. They they set themselves up and they prepare themselves. Um, to ride the wave, but they watched it long enough to know when to move. Mm. And we have to be, we have to use that type of precision when we are engaging our young people. Don't be too forceful, Mm. Uh, but at the same time, don't ignore the fact that, that they are exhibiting some, um, abnormal behavior. Mm. Ask questions, be present. Uh, take them out to eat, you know, use those opportunities to build rapport with them. You may be the auntie that's closest to the mother that passed, or you may be the uncle that's closest to the grandmother or whatnot. Um, But by you being present and letting them know, hey, I'm trying to learn. I want to be a part of the process. No, I wasn't here for the first 13, 14 years of your life, but I'm here now. I'll take I'll take the the adolescent smart mouth. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a hit. I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I earned it. I'm still here, and mm-hmm. I want you to be okay. They need somebody. They want to know if you're real, if you're serious mm-hmm. about walking this journey with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but truly enough, we we have to get to a point where we are. Um, not so wrapped up in our day-to-day lives and the mm-hmm. bills in the, um, you know, the structure of our selves mm-hmm. that we are missing the mark to connect with young people. Cause they, they need, they need you. Um, they need us. Absolutely. <laughs> they Absolutely. Really do. Absolutely. Let me tell you something. That surfing analogy, uh, we should just go ahead and pass the collection plate right now. <laughs> Cause that surfing analogy was perfect. Because it is a process watching, right? I can't pounce on everything because I do think as uh, 
you know, parental units, caregivers, adults in people's lives. Uh, we, when we see something, well, we're, we can go a couple of different ways. One, we can see it and dismiss it and ignore it because we don't want to deal with it because we wrapped up in our stuff, which you, what you were just saying. But then other times we're so overly vigilant that we are literally every single thing. Um, then we got questions and we are uh, drilling these children. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And they're going to they're going to shut down. But I love the point you made earlier. And I do believe you're the first person who I've ever heard say that. Watch them when they're talking too much. Oh, yeah. When they run, when they're rambling or they just don't want to let you go. Mm. That's that. That's a sign of something. It, mm. it, may, it may not be grief, but that's that's something. Pay attention to that. Um, wanting to sleep all day. Um, just it's so it, there's just so many different signs. I'm just trying to think. Um some things that stood out in a couple of my sessions, working, overwork, mm. always working. Mm. Because when you're working, you're not, you're not dealing you with, don't you don't have to focus on it. your grief. You have to focus on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I see you. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> you, and you mentioned the sex as, you know, one of those numbing addictive behaviors. And a lot of people don't look at sex in our young people as something to do to numb pain. You know, we're quick to say our kids are promiscuous or fast, they're fast and yeah, and not understanding. No, this this young one is hurting. Yeah, they're hurting. And it's and adolescence is a very important time period because mm -hmm. you're they're being shaped into who they're mm -hmm. going to be as adults. So if a, a part of them is their sexual or their their sexual um, mm -hmm. activity and their involvement. And so if that's being shaped at this age and they're using that space in their life to cover up grief, that's setting them up for failure in the future. So we, we want to be cognizant of um, what our young folks are, are, are doing, how to properly engage with them and how to have that conversation without shaming them, making, you know, making, making them feel condemned, but just letting them know, hey, I've noticed this behavior, no mm -hmm. judgments, just talk to me. What's going on in your head? Why, you know, help me to understand where you are and just sit there and listen and give them that space. And when I say give them the tools, what I mean, and I think all of us as adults, because I have a two-year-old and I have to often tell her, Carter, because there are times I want to tell her, stop whining, stop whining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you want? Mm -hmm. But I have to remind her, you have a tool and it's your words. Use your words. Are you upset? Are you angry? What do you want? Point to what you want. That's the same way with dealing with adolescents. When you get upset and you get angry, because you're going to get triggered. It, you never get over the, the grief and the death of somebody. I, I'm still dealing with the death of my cousin. He died in 2006 and I still am triggered, but I have the tools of the comfort of family members, calling my um, folks in my circle, thinking of not only the good times, but revisiting some of the things that we've done together, expressing myself in um uh, in productive in, in um, productive ways, um, finding ways to deal with the the pain without hurting someone else or mm. hurting myself. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean about, you know, giving them the tools, let yes. them know, hey, you know, you don't have to isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, you may need to, if you feel like you want to be alone, have a conversation with the people that you stay with so they can understand what's going on, mm-hmm. communicate with them, and then find an opportunity to um, get into a space where you you you, you can grieve effectively, you, mm-hmm. you, you need your time, you need your, your moment, but then come back to the space that supports you because that's where you're going to get your strength. That's where you're going to get your motivation. So that's what I mean about giving them the tools, letting them know, reminding them, hey, this is not going to go away overnight Mm -hmm. and I'm here to walk with you, but you have everything inside of you that you need to get through this. And we just have to help them to identify what those things are. That's a good point too, I think for, so for parents who are watching, for aunties, uncles, um, loved ones in in these people's lives because often what I hear you know I work with the adults who are saying they feel that powerlessness I don't know how to support them I don't know how to help them you mentioned a um you know numbing and trying to manage their pain but also that you don't end up being a harm to yourself even this notion of kids being suicidal adults have a hard time um, being able to navigate that because we go, as you said earlier, to our own places of guilt and to our own trauma that we've had about maybe someone didn't teach us. Mm. So we don't have the tools. We don't have the resources. So for those caregivers, for those educators, for those family members who are trying to figure out, because you said ask questions. Mm. What questions do I ask? How do I even start this process of talking to a child, particularly when I may not be developed enough myself mm-hmm. um, to even be able to understand some of the dynamics, because I might get triggered because mm-hmm. <laughs> I got my own grief I haven't dealt with, mm-hmm. right? So what are some of these questions that we can ask to support our youth, even if we're just uncertain, we don't really know how to navigate this? What are some things that we can say um, or some places even that we can refer them so that we can make sure that they are being heard. Yes. Ooh, so for me, and this is a practice of mine. Okay. I don't start a conversation with anyone, whether it's someone in my family or whether it's um, a client. I don't start a conversation or I don't start probing until I build rapport with them. Okay. I just don't. I don't okay. because mm-hmm. it's just extremely important. Um, it's intrusive. So I believe that if you are a parent or loved one, a family member, who is co-parenting now in co-guard in co-garden uh, guardianship with the family? It's important for you to not go in making your pronouncements and your demands and your commands and all of this because these young folks are dealing with a lot. Um, it's, it, it is extremely important to just build that relationship, build that rapport, have conversations about things that they're interested in, so they can be comfortable enough to open up to you. Once you get to that comfortability, then you could just start asking them, hey, um, is, is, is it okay that we talk about this? Or I want to ask you about this, but I wasn't sure if you were ready. Are you ready to have a conversation about whatever it is that you're going to have a conversation about? If they open the door, great. Allow them to open that door, feel, you know, read the room. Don't go in that door and start going straight into the refrigerator. You know, let nobody come to my house opening my refrigerator. Come on, analogy. (laughs) Go sit on the couch of their their mind. Sit on the couch and and wait for them to pass you the remote before you start turning the channel. 
And, you know, just having that, giving them the wheel to drive that part because there are places in their, in their emotional house that they're going to allow you to go. But that's that back room. That's the messy room. Don't nobody go in that room. They're not ready to go in there. I dealt with some, some, some clients. I had to wait about eight months before we start talking about their loved one who um, passed, whether it was a mother or father. There were clients where we talked about it right away because they were ready. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's why I said it's important to build rapport. So when you go in and you're allowing them to drive the conversation, mm -hmm. if you notice something, and I would just say, trust your intuition. I remember one time one of the clients asked, uh, made a comment and this person's comments, um, they mentioned their loved one's death for the first time. They actually said, um, when my parent died mm. and I let this person finish their comment and I had to go back and I said, do you, do you realize, no, I, I let her know that I was going to journey back. I said, I was listening to what you were saying. Can we go back to this statement? Do you realize this is the first time in our time together that you've actually admitted or stated verbally that your parent had passed? And it was just a pause there because they did not realize that I actually made it real. I, I, I said it because for the longest time, um, there were just ways to just gloss over it. You know, this client would just have conversations to kind of gloss over it. But that was a moment there. And only thing I did was bring this person back to the comment. But that opened up a 40-minute conversation about what transpired during that time. When, can we just live in that space for a minute? I just, because I don't, I, I don't want to gloss over that. Um, because this is a very important point. Uh, you said several. But one of the things that really resonated for me is that people are not ready yet mm -hmm. ready. to process and discuss their grief. And we're, we're pushing them mm -hmm. because we want to go ahead and get this, this process going. We want to yeah. move you along. And so we don't, when you said, I just invited you into the house, just sit on the couch. Mm -hmm. Don't come in here changing the, the TV channel. Don't go in my refrigerator. Don't go in that mess. Like just sit, you have not been invited anywhere other than this living room to sit on this couch yeah, right there and so how many times do we dismiss kids this is another way we're dismissive of children um when we tell them oh you can have boundaries when it's convenient mm -hmm. <laughs> but now that you are trying to set this boundary and grieving that you are not yet even ready to say out loud right. that this person who you love died mm -hmm. we are saying oh no 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 you need to talk about it mm -mm. Can't How are you going to heal if you don't talk about it? They're not, they're not ready. Mm. Mm. They're not ready. And we have to be okay with them not being ready. There's some stuff we weren't ready to talk about. That boyfriend, that girlfriend that left and that just dropped you for somebody else. Mm. It took me years to, to be ready to talk about that. There's some pain in that thing, <laughs> isn't it? Kitty's maybe an opportunity to process mm. and mm. to be ready to share that with you because that opens up so many other doors of mm. guilt because this parent, think about it. A lot of a lot of our young people, and I remember being at Georgia Gwinnett when a lot of the students were losing parents right and mm -hmm. left. They couldn't go to the hospital 
the parents died in the hospital mm. with the um, doctors and the nurses, our critical um, our frontline service front line, providers. Thank you. Service, yes. Thank you so much. Service providers. But the the, the kids weren't there. The, the children weren't there. They couldn't be there. So what was the last conversation before they the, the parents got sick? What were the unresolved issues? Mm. Are, is, is the child blaming themselves mm. for giving the parent COVID because they weren't wearing masks? Mm. There's guilt. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of anger. Um, and it's, it's just important for us to, to understand there may be a reason why they don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. because maybe they're not, maybe they don't have the, they're, they're not able to articulate, to fully articulate, but then there may be other areas that they're not really ready to approach or address mm-hmm. because it's so painful. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not just the grief of loss. Mm-hmm. It's the grief of unresolved issues. It's the grief of, grief of you know, you, you left me before I graduated from middle school. Mm. I supposed to graduate from college. Mm. So not only am I not going to be able to walk with my college or my high school friends, we got to do a virtual graduation. You're not going to be there. Mm. This is something we always talk about. And not only that, what about the other milestones? Marriage, mm. you know, um, children, other things. children. Yeah. First jobs. It's a lot to mm. talk about because once mm. you admit my parent is gone or my parents are gone, then you have to talk about address these other issues. Mm. What that and means. They, what does that mean? And if you don't mm. have anybody, if they don't feel confident that they have somebody that's going to be there with them constantly throughout that journey, mm-hmm. they're going to shut it in. They're going to shut it down and deal with it in a different way. So that's why I said, get on that couch. Because when you get on that couch, you're letting them know, I'm giving you the power to um, to drive this emotional mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. This is your emotional space. Not only am I validating that you have it, but I'm validating that you're in control of this mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. You're in control. And I'm just a visitor that wants, I am, I'm a loved one. I'm a support mm-hmm. system that wants to be here with you, no matter what this looks like, you know, I want to be here with you. So that's what they're looking for. Uh, my mom always says that old people and babies are the most, are the most real people. But I also want to add adolescents. Adolescents are real in a way where if they not gonna, if they, if they don't want to fool with you, if they don't trust you, mm-hmm. they're not going to fool with you. Mm-hmm. But if they trust you, they'll open up that door and they will tell you any and everything that you need to know as long as they feel like they can trust you. Absolutely. And that's the key right there to go back to what you said about building this rapport. If I have not established a foundation with you, just a general foundation that you know I'm going to be there that I'm not just here temporary because you just lost somebody that had been with you. Yes. <laughs> and and all my secrets. Absolutely. So <laughs> you are probably very uncomfortable connecting to someone else for fear to go back to what you said about your mom and her dealing with illness as you were growing up. I'm waiting on the call. Wait on the call. So are you going to die too? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what death does is it makes us more um, obsessive about death. Mm-hmm. So all of the mortality issues that we didn't have to think about, death forces you to think about because now it's right here. Mm -hmm. It's different when it was out there. 
and I still felt safe and protected. But now that home that I just invited you into, it got violated Yes, because death was here Mm -hmm. sitting right next to me. And I didn't even know. I didn't know it. I didn't get any warnings. No one gave me a memo or nothing. It just came and and just ran rush out. Absolutely. So I'm not going to just be that eager to open up to you about something so delicate and I might want to talk to you about some other things first to test the water mm-hmm. and have you like you said eight months for a client before mm-hmm. they even started so we have to be patient I'm hearing you mm-hmm. say with our Very young patient. people mm-hmm. on their time not on our time we're not used to that as adults we've all heard that you seen not heard mm-hmm. you're yeah. a child you stand a child all of these things we have to abandon uh, some of that outdated philosophy about our children uh, no, you, like you said, you get to drive, mm-hmm. um, you get to figure out what wave you want to surf. You get mm-hmm. to decide when I get to come in and mm-hmm. what I get to do once I'm in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we do have to shift our philosophy about that. We don't control what our children do in this grieving process. Mm-hmm. Our children have to find their own way in their grieving. We're there to support in God. And you know what? And I want to say something right there. I asked one of my clients and I told her about this, you know, about this conversation. And I mm-hmm. said, if you were to say anything to the people, what would you want me to say to them? What would you want me to express a, about this experience that you and so many other young people are experiencing? What do you want them to know? And she said, I just want, I would like for them to know that, yes, we are hurt and we are grieving, but don't discount our strength. Mm. if you help us to get to a point where we can stand we will walk and we will thrive but don't ignore us when we're angry you know don't just leave and and and, you know get so tender where you can't take it but be be there enough to say hey I understand that you're angry, but this anger is something else. But then she said also, you know, don't um, come in too uh, power heavy. Mm-hmm. Allow aggressive. Aggressive, mm-hmm. right. Uh, trust me enough to to understand that I have, um, I, I should have some autonomy, uh, you know, enough autonomy to uh, get through this and trust that I... Um, I have the strength and I have the skill set to get through it. She, you know, her whole thing was folks looked at her as a, a little girl or a, mm. a, a child, but she's at that age of adolescent where, you know, you know she's right in, in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Give me the opportunity to use mm-hmm. my autonomy to get through this mm-hmm. and don't overcrowd me with mm-hmm. your parental authority. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a fine, it takes some finessing. Yeah, it sounds like it's a it. fine line. We want to empower them to be able to recognize that there is going to be pain. Grief doesn't end. It, it transitions yeah. into different phases. It doesn't end. And you can be in grief and still also be able to have moments where you celebrate again, joys again, um, accomplishments again, um, being able to get through difficult things, coping, right? Because we want to teach our children how to cope. And we often say our young people don't know how to cope and we never gave them the skills. Mm -hmm. And you know what, what I'm learning is that a lot of our young people, yes, they've lost parents, Mm -hmm. but there's some of our young people are dealing with grief and they are still caregivers. 
that's a whole nother conversation. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Speak on that a little bit. And there's still there's caregivers, caregivers. Like for other siblings or for who other they... siblings, mm-hmm. for other family members, because you mm. know, we're still dealing with the social uh, determinants of, of, of health within our society. Mm-hmm. We're still dealing with uh being um uh African Americans being disproportionately affected with poverty, mm-hmm. uh, illnesses, um, uh, a slew of things. You you know the whole <laughs> gamut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have young folks who may be caregivers to other, like you said, other siblings. Mm-hmm. They may be caregivers to uh, grandparents who mm-hmm. are their guardians, but mm-hmm. they have to help the, the grandparents manage their day-to-day uh, care, their, their care, um, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, medicines mm-hmm. or going to dialysis appointment. It's, it's, it's just a lot, mm-hmm. it's a lot on them. Mm-hmm. And um, to expect them to just be children, mm. but then they have a weight of responsibility like adults. Where is their, where do they go to, where do they go to resort? Where, where is yeah, their, where's their respite? Where's their, their hey, peace? The peace. Yeah. How do they get renewed? How do mm. they get revived and rejuvenated? Mm. Um, because if they come in a room with a whole bunch of adults, mm. they're still considered children, but they have mm. a responsibility mm. have to find mm. a way to acknowledge that, but then provide a remedy for that mm-hmm. because they should not, everything should not be, um, or they should not have the weight mm-hmm. of responsibility of an adult all the time mm-hmm. and then be treated like a, you know, a child. So mm-hmm. we have to begin to in- engage those conversations. What does this look like now for my family and how do I properly, um, a fix this mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. how do I situate a um um a, a style of a parent uh, mm-hmm. parenting that fits this particular mold yes. uh, a short 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 story mm-hmm. my mom she always talks about when when I was sick with you you know yeah you had the house you were I was cooking and cleaning uh fried chicken and stuff when I was eight years old I knew how to fry up some chicken and cook macaroni and cheese eight nine ten years old mm. when my mom got better she had to come and take her house back mm. so now you got I'm I'm, I'm doing adult mm-hmm. stuff yeah I've been parentified at this point because hey, I yeah I'm a lot key kid I'm fixing yeah. dinner full-fledged mm. dinners for mm. my brother and my father but now mama is you know she's getting better mm. so how do I engage mm. this child slash mm. adult that mm. had adult responsibilities yes. but now I want to put her back in a child's place but I've already crossed the threshold of, mm. of doing adult stuff so that's when she started taking me out to eat uh we would go to these little restaurants we would mm-hmm. go out for for uh breakfast breakfast is our 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 meal okay and we would have one-on-one time mm-hmm. and she said you know she would have these conversations tell me what's going on what, what do you want to talk about this is our girl time what do you want to mm-hmm. talk about so it's in a, i'm still her daughter mm-hmm. but then i'm placed in a uh role that's not putting me in my place mm-hmm. You're giving me an opportunity to explore this space yeah that i yeah. i was allowed into and uh and that was healthy for me okay. so that that is something that i <laughs> yeah, that's very important for you to share because there are so many young people that are in roles. And then you think about when you lose parents and you're going to stay with people, you may be going into a household where you weren't caregiving before, Mm -hmm. but now you are having these adult responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so it does shift for you. So I like this 
you know, the reality is that's what some kids are dealing with. You yeah. know, people that they love and care about and who are caring for them may be sick. They may need to be, um, you know, the person who listens and comprehends because they may have people that uh, don't know how to read or right. uh, are, you know, having memory problems or other challenges and may not just have a lot of education. And so they don't necessarily understand mm -hmm. what's being communicated. And so children are serving in these roles, assisting, yeah. but to have a moment where you get to still be a kid yeah, or you yeah. get to go off and tell me about your day. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the things that kids are doing? Right. <laughs> what do you want to do as a kid? What do you want? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You want to play, you want to talk like, Oh, the attention is on me. Yeah. Yes. Talk, what you, what you want to do? Them. Yeah. I think the, place the attention on them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that because we, we are navigating these dual realities. Yes. You are both a child and sometimes also functioning in this adult role and I want you to be able to have a time because we as adults need a break yes I'm tired of adulting listen <laughs> stop calling my name my mother used to tickle me she said I'm gonna change my name I say that all the time my name uh, is mama no more. yeah I'm not mama anymore uh, you know and little kids would be confused they'd be like well what's your name then what what do I call you? yeah because I'm gonna wear that out too uh but but you know it spoke to needing that break from having yes. to be responsible yes all the time and so our little ones and our young adults they need breaks too to not have to be responsible for anything but just being yes and as you're talking what comes to mind and this is this is the chat this is a bigger challenge and I think it's going to take a, a a a longer conversation on another mm -hmm. day are the children who don't have parents or loved mm. ones to go home to, they will put mm. into foster care system or they mm. are mm. they're institutionalized mm. now. How does grief play out in that institution where a parent or both parents are deceased, whether it's from COVID or whatever, and they go, they leave a structure, a home structure mm. where Everything was pretty much, you know, their home, that's their state of home, um, homo, homeostasis or homogeneous. And they are taken out, plucked out of that space, placed into fo foster care where they have to get up at a certain time, mm -hmm. have to make their bed up at, the, at mm -hmm. a certain time. They're pretty much a number. Mm -hmm. They have house parents, but they're not their parents. Mm -hmm. They're living with other young people who may be fully institutionalized. So you got to deal with that politic. So how are you able to uh, to uh, properly grieve? You can't sleep in because you're on a schedule. Mm -hmm. You're not, you don't trust people that are there mm -hmm. because you haven't built those relationships. So mm -hmm. how are you, affect, how are these children effectively communicating? So that's a whole nother. That is a whole nother, you know, you think about foster care, uh, group homes. Yes. Um, or even relatives that you never knew. Right. And so these strangers, uh, yeah. you know, these extended family members who are taking you, their traditions are different, different. Um, your, your, your hair care, your, um, you know, maybe your family celebrated birthdays. Maybe you're now in a family that has a different ideology and birthdays aren't celebrated. Christmas right. isn't celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're literally shifting mm -hmm. everything that you knew and held on to as dear yeah. is now something different. Mm -hmm. From you, like, well, I don't know how to do your hair, so I'm gonna cut it. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> or, or you, you had you used to have your hair done at a certain uh, beauty uh, beauty shop or uh, barber shop, but you stay in another state, so mm -hmm. you have to 
you have to be reacclimated to a whole nother product. It's, it's so much. It's so much. Um, but I think the most important thing, even in that regard, mm. I think is extremely important for our faith communities mm. to rally around mm -hmm. these group homes. Mm -hmm. uh, because even with the, the way in which we understand faith, um, if we show up and say, hey, we just want to, uh, we want to sponsor a meal mm. on Sundays. Mm. We want to give uh, gifts, cards and gift certificates for mm. holidays. Mm. We want to be, a, we want to adopt a child as mm. far as like be a mentor or be a, mm. a pen pal for this child. That means so much and it mm. seems small, but it means so much because it, it takes them away from that institutionalized setting for mm. an hour or 30 yeah. minutes and it gives them a sense of being in connection mm. yeah. outside of that space. So it's just mm. very important to connect with those institutions. That is an excellent point because I think that, you know, if I were to say what's the overarching kind of theme of some of the recommendations you've made for us today Connection to me is one of the things that mm -hmm. stands out, that it's important for our young people to feel grounded in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so I've lost my anchors mm -hmm. in this world, and I'm out here like a piece of wind, a piece of paper flapping in the wind. Mm -hmm. And so I need something to connect me back to being seen, um, to being valued, to being respected, to feeling whole again and so that can be done through the church that can be done through our educators that can be done through our our uh community of hairstylists sororities, um, and, fraternities. sororities and fraternities like there's this endless uh, network that we could create mm -hmm. so that a young person always has at least one space yes where they just get to be that kid mm -hmm. and also there are resources within the community um there are spaces called the community coalitions mm. where they provide support services i know in east point they have one they provide support services for grandparents who are the main guardians of young people and this is in um, east point georgia but I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are other community coalitions around the state of georgia who are funded to help support um our newer uh fam our families that are uh um filling in the gaps for mm. uh, parents who were lost during COVID. There are also, you can reach out to Fulton. I know Fulton County, DeKalb County, I'm pretty sure Cobb County um, Office or Department of Mental Health Services have a plethora of services that support mental health um, needs of our adolescents, as well as caregivers of adolescents who lost uh, parents during COVID. So tap into those local uh, state um, and county governments for resources. The, the, the issue is they have these resources out there, but then the people, it, it's hard for them to- We don't know about them. To the people. Mm -hmm. That's why I say it's important for your clergy mm -hmm. to be connected mm -hmm. with the state. It's important for our pastors and our uh, organizational leaders to be mm -hmm. connected with resources in the state so that we can provide those opportunities to our parishioners, to our families mm -hmm. and our friends, because mm -hmm. the money is out there, the resources are out there, but we have to find ways to connect. To be able to access to access those resources. Well, as you said, this conversation could go on, but I do like to be mindful of your time. I want to thank you 
Dr. Charity Star Mitchell for all of the great information that you have provided for us today and giving us a better foundation for understanding how our youth may be affected by losing loved ones during COVID. Uh, join us on next Tuesday, August 30th for the conversation, The Forever Heartbreak of Losing a Child. We want to thank you all for joining us this evening. We thank you for your comments that you've dropped and your questions that you dropped. Uh, and if you need any information about some of the resources that were mentioned, just make sure you message and we'll get that information to you. So everyone have a great night and be well.